Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Lucas and Vincent were not in the mainstream of gay life. I was saving body parts such as uh, skulls. Doesn't it bother you that he's a fag? You have done me a great service. Now I must service you. And the drugs were, were always a, a cry for attention, for somebody to pay attention to me before I, you know, kill somebody. <laughs> You can imagine what it smells like if you go into a closed room. Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. Buckle up, sodomites, and welcome to the Sinister Sissies podcast. Your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man-on-man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, and I'm staring at the beautiful and very made-up face of my filthy little slave sam hamilton just blessing my father today he's it's not that he has makeup on he's you know his hair's all judged did you get a haircut i did i did i did my hair for my saint lord jared uh, i my uh not a real haircut but my friend gave me a little trim ah, we're still on very intense restrictions in uh melbourne australia i keep forgetting we have international we're listeners. allowed haircuts as of yesterday but yeah i saw i got a diy last week because i couldn't look good it. thank you i'll, I'll pass it on good. to my non-hairdressing friend our film today is something quite interesting um S- sam did you did you have a lot of catholicism in your your youth surprisingly little given that my mum was raised like devoutly irish catholic um I suppose the trauma prevented her from passing it on to me. Well, good no, because I also I also grew up in like a heathen family. Um, but my mum still my mum still brings up being like my mum still brings up having to kiss like nuns when they died, but like you know their corpses in the coffin, uh-huh. and she like speaks of it with like extreme trauma. So yeah, I got to skip it. Well, because I I've slowly learned that I think I like horror films that have like a Catholic nexus. I don't okay. know. Well, because I'm thinking, so the film that we're uh, looking at today is Fear No Evil from 1981. And, and has... I can guarantee you at no point during the film did I fear anything. No. Okay. Yes. It's, it's, it's <laughs> not that type of horror film. I'm just going to put that out there. It's not a, it's not a thrilling. Then again, what have we reviewed on this podcast that's actually been scary? Look, I'm, I'm still waiting. Maybe Hellbent's production values. <laughs> That's true. Pretty scary. So, Fear No Evil is a film written and directed by Frank, and I'm going to muck this up, La Loggia? La Loggia. I'm going to go with option two. La Loggia. It sounded sexier that way, master. Frank La Loggia. Um, and it, it is heavy on the Catholic themes, and I enjoyed this film slightly in an ironic way, but I did enjoy this film. Also, I enjoyed The Fourth Man, which had a lot of Catholic stuff going on. And The Exorcist also has a lot of Catholic stuff going on, and I enjoyed really? that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so this might, what about like, The Omen? Uh, I actually, you're actually, I actually, I love satanic films. Like anything, 
even like starry eyes and things that have very ritualistic aspects about them. I don't, yeah, there's, there's something about it. I think, but we're in a must we're be ingrained we're in, a, in my psyche. We're in a rare hmm? situation this time because, uh, for once, Sam is more negative on a film than I am. It's and I'm usually very forgiving of these kinds of films as well. So I love this film. I'm gonna put it out there. I actually love this film. It is not. I mean, I probably didn't love it in the way that La Logia intended um, but there are so many aspects of this film that make a perfect 80s b-grade horror film i fucking Look, i'd it. be verging towards c but i do admire frank lalogia or have sorry frank if yep. you're, listening, if you're still alive <laughs> he raised the budget himself so you know it's like did. 150 grand and he hustled so you got to admire you know don't hustle the hustler and he went on to make i don't have the name of the film in front of me but he did go on to make a far more successful film after this i think this was his so the the original um trigger for this film being made was that they found a location with a beautiful castle and they went to Frank Lologia and, and basically said, make a film with this because <laughs> it's nice. That explains and we have why this location. the plot literally feels like it was thrown from just like a hat. And it was like, okay, we'll do this, 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 this. And it will vaguely come together at the end. So but to answer your question as well, Jared, yeah. his other film was Lady in White that has um, Lucas Haas in it. That like, He was like a famous child actor at the time. Okay. Or maybe from this film. And that got very yeah. good reviews, didn't it? It got really good. It's regarded very highly. I actually don't like it that much. So oh. I'm a negative today, <laughs> you are. But stylistically, it's great and definitely shows like a lot more artistic growth as a director than this, like since this film. Yes. So I, I think, well, I don't know if you found this. I'm trying not to be too spoilery this early on, but I didn't know if this movie was trying to be a silly B-horror film or it was trying to be some sort of like serious, you know, mythological, theological horror type film. Yeah. Um. So, but that that tension between kind of B grade horror elements and overly lofty melodramatic drama elements, I think, was caused by um, uh, Lalogia had this limited amount of money. And the producers were very influential in adding more kind of schlocky elements to the plot. But I, I love this blend between pretentiousness and schlock. It's what I liked in The Fourth Man, and it's what I love in this as well. Well, the, the schlockiness was definitely done well here. There are there some standout scenes that had me cackling. Like, I wasn't bored by the whole film. I just sort of felt like it... Maybe I didn't like it because it felt a little bit too tonally divided, like you're saying. Like it was sort of. I mean, it is. It's com- it's a complete fucking mess, but it's a beautiful. It's mess. also marketed <laughs> as like a teen horror film. Like the poster has like a high school yearbook, so I think I was expecting something different than what I got. It's sort of like a classy melodrama with these these teenage elements that don't really fit thrown into yeah. it. Yes, yeah. that's why I love it though. That it, it's it's poorly done in like the most exquisite way possible. So um, we're going to get into a spoiler territory now. So I think if you've tended to agree with me in reviews in the past, you might like this film. If you've tended to agree with Sam, you're probably not going to like it I still like it. I'm just just putting it slightly below average. That's all. 
Alexandria High School, class of 81. All the students are going to hell, except for Andrew. He sent them there. scare the devil out of you. The film opens with um, images from this castle. Now, it's very important when you were watching this film that you needed to listen within the first two minutes or else the rest of the movie makes no sense because we get audio commentary at the very start of this film that explains the plot. The plot was, we have Lucifer. <laughs> I don't know, if Sam, did you miss this audio part? I didn't miss it. Maybe I didn't give it the attention it deserved. So we have Lucifer who is being um, transmitted across generations. And the only way to defeat Lucifer is through the power of three angels, uh, Mikkel, Gabrielle, and a Raphael. Okay, they're the three angels, the angels that are destined to to combat Lucifer, and this happens literally. I think it's like the first opening scene. There's maybe a minute of dialogue, and if you don't get that at the start, you're not going to understand the movie at all. I don't think. I mean, you could probably grasp that when he kills the first Lucifer, and then there's another one after that that something's being. His spirit is just being passed Transmitted on. Yeah. along. Well, so so we open with this Roman Catholic priest um, now named Father Damon, who enters this castle that we've been talking about. As he's entering, one of the first things that he sees is a naked man, which uh, begins the homoerotic trend of this movie. Um, he also sees a number of uh, dead animals hanging, and he also finds a dead woman... Um, who comes alive suddenly like a zombie. Um, Father Damon uh, runs uh, and and chases after a man. We don't know who this man is at at this point. They get into a confrontation. Father Damon has a huge staff with a cross on it, which is very important because it's a magical staff. It seriously reminds me of a weapon that Sailor Moon would use. Like any anime fans, actually, it's Card Captors. If anyone watched Card Captors, it's it's exactly like the main character's like staff thing. But it's like it's so like overly mythological. It reminds me of I don't know. Did you ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Of course. Do you remember in the last season she got like some what did they call it a scythe? At the very end, it was this, like, mythical sounding... Yeah, didn't it project the sun? Yeah, it it was, like, this mythical tool that she got at the end of that. It it reminded me of that, this random object that has this this power. Um, Anyway, during this confrontation between Father Damon and this man, it's revealed that the man is Lucifer and Father Damon is the angel Raphael. Um... They confront one another and Father Damon kills this man. We then flash forward decades later. It's now 1963 and we see a young baby getting christened in upstate New York. We're also introduced to his parents. Um, The father character is kind of an asshole from the start. Um, 
because the baby's crying and the father's like, what is his problem? I can't sleep. Like, it's this very obvious characterization of this father being a bit of a dick. Um, And during the christening of this baby, uh, suddenly the water in which he's being christened turns into blood and the altar boy gets like splashed with blood and other people get splashed with blood. (laughs) That that was a favorite moment. (laughs) And the mother kind of screams and runs out with the baby. And so we, we get an indication that in 1963, this baby, who we later learn is named Andrew Williams is uh, a bit nefarious in some way. The baby is fucked up. Mm. There is an interesting question in this movie as to how much, quote-unquote, Andrew Williams, who, spoiler, is Lucifer, how much those identities are kind of um, overlapping together and understand each other. Because sometimes they seem in conflict and sometimes they don't. And then in the end, he just kind of gives in. So, yeah, it was a... Another, that was probably another aspect the film needed to work on. Yeah. <laughs> it sort of seemed most of the time that he didn't really know that Lucifer, Lucifer was inside him. But then Lucifer would take over and then it would just like kind of revert back to him. But then he'd be scared. Afterwards, he'd be like... <laughs> but he was weird and creepy from a very young age. Um, so we flash forward 18 years um, and we see the fully grown Andrew Williams. In the first scene with him, he like telekinetically closes a book and also teleports downstairs. So clearly he has some <laughs> idea well, he of his knows, abilities. He knows his, yeah, I guess he, he embraces the power to some extent. Um, Innocent, innocently, at least. What did you think look wise, looks wise of, of Andrew, our Lucifer? Look, not my thing, but I guess they were going for that kind of gangly, like 28-year-old playing a high school student look. Yeah, he's... the, the We'll find throughout this movie... That although there's a lot of homoeroticism, it's like homoeroticism with very normal looking guys. Well, yeah, he kind of looks a little bit like feminine, I suppose. Mm. And his mannerisms are definitely very effeminate, particularly at the end. I just think, so um, uh, the director of this film, La Loggia, uh, isn't a gay man as far as I know. Um, and the whole the homoeroticism in this is completely unintentional. Like it's it's a Nightmare on Elm Street two type situation, um, because I think if it was written and directed by a gay man, we'd have more of like buff, sexy <laughs> Lucifer. That's that's a good point, actually. Yeah, it's you you can you can often tell. Mm. Like even I know you don't like Ryan Murphy, Jared, but someone that I know didn't know that Ratchet the new series was. Um, made by Ryan Murphy, and then they're like, "Oh, I should have known." And they were like, "Every guy was really hot." Yeah. So, the, so there's no gay male aesthetic in this movie. It's like very normal looking guys, you know, doing their thing, despite the fact that a lot of them are partially nude and not insignificant amount, or fully nude and not insignificant amount of the time. Um, since it's Andrew's 18th birthday, his mum has made him a, a cake. And we get early signs of Andrew, again, not sure if he has control over his abilities or not. There's a whole thing where all of the candles are lit up and then Andrew lights a match and all the candles go out. Um, The cake is dropped. Andrew's mum ends up getting punched by the father. 
Yeah. And I think she starts punching him and he pushes her to the ground. Yeah. No, she's, sla- she's slapping him, he pushes her to the ground, and then, like, a kettle, like, falls off and, like, concusses her. The kettle falls off, yeah, and concusses her, and then we, we find out later that she becomes, like, an invalid as a result of that. And the father blames Andrew... But I don't know if it's... Is it clear that he did that? No, but I guess the father's just made, like, the like the parallel that, you know, usually when things go wrong, Andrew's involved, I guess. Rapid cut. There's a lot of rapid cuts in this movie. We then cut to our establishing of our very hip 80s high school. Um, we get to a classroom where we have a really cool hip teacher who may or may not be sleeping with some random teacher's assistant um oh, i forgot about that part all of this it should be noted like i think it starts here there is some great 80s music or like late 70s early 80s music throughout all of this film and i have no well, idea yeah, i don't know how they afforded it they had like t- talking heads the ramones they had se- yeah they had sex pistols they had the b-52s they had patty smith I don't we know, know where how... the budget went then. Yeah, well, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I don't know how they, unless they just put it in there and maybe they could just it. put it in, got away with it. I don't know what it was back then, but the music on this is is good, but it's used very strangely. Um, and not to mention the score, which kind of feels sometimes like it would be more at home in like ET than a horror film. Yeah, well, so yeah, we have this like overly cinematic score, and then it would cut to like Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols. Like it's just completely all over the place but i love it i love how like how much of a whiplash it is emotionally I love to see you embracing a film that we've watched, Jared. That's all I have to say. <laughs> um, so we're introduced to our, our full classroom um, full of students. Um, a bunch of them are very, like, rebellious. We're introduced to Tony, who is our, like, bad boy. Um, we're also introduced to Julie, who is a um, girl in Andrew's class who starts even this early on starts having these visions of father damon um as she's sitting in the classroom now we'll find out later why julie is significant but it's incredibly convenient (laughs) that she just happens to be in the class with andrew i'll say that and her her identifying characteristic is that she has these visions we don't really know anything else about her other than she has a boyfriend Mm. You know, I needed a more kick-ass heroine here. Um, well, yeah, she's well, she 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 gets into gear eventually. Um, Julie's boyfriend is Mark, um, who seems nice. They seem like a lovely little couple. Um, as the class is dismissed and Julie leaves, she leaves a book behind, which Andrew grabs. Andrew himself, in this scene, I should say, is incredibly socially awkward and withdrawn he just seems like a bit of a 
like a nerdy guy. Um, we then have the Sex Pistols playing, and we're introduced to all of our bad characters. We have like the bad chicks who wear like jackets. One of them. One of them even says Queen Bee. So yeah, you know she's like the bitch. I think. I think they're called the bees or something like that. Like, is in they. They have. It's very. It's like Greece. It seemed like it was a bit of a thing in the early eighties. I know in Savage Streets, they've got. It's similar. If anyone's seen that film, they all have like satin jackets that says like the satins. Because it's like their girl gang. Yeah, was it was it before the time? Was there a period of time where like gangs were kind of cute, and then like in the eighties, maybe post the Warriors, <laughs> everyone wanted to be in one. I don't know. Well, then the eighties happened, and the like gangs became a lot less cute. Um, I believe Tony and his girlfriend go to like an industrial part to the back of the school uh, to fuck. Because why not? Uh, we see some man butt. I've got that in my notes. Man butt. Um, and but then there's a quick cut and they're, they're over and done with in terms of having sex. All of this happens so rapidly, you'll easily miss it. Like the first ten minutes of this movie is just like character, 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 plot, character, character, character. I love it. Well, yeah, I feel like I could barely recollect half the stuff you just mentioned. So I remember the butt. <laughs> we know Tony is a bad guy because he is arguing with his girlfriend and then he slaps his girlfriend in the face uh which is very harsh andrew returns the book to julie and julie instantly has a vision of her and andrew making out in bed naked yeah and and then afterwards um because mark is there and he's a bit jealous of this and he's like what's going on and she was like well it felt like he was touching me I, think I actually he... think that was one of, the be- one of the better moments of the movie. That was actually a little bit creepy. Andrew's father speaks to uh, what I'm assuming is a neighbor or no, he works as a postal worker and he meets an older woman named Margaret. Uh, we learn later that Margaret is actually the angel. Uh, did they say Mikkel or Michael? Mikkel, I think. I'm just going to go with Mikkel. You don't remember this movie at all. I know, and I watched it less than 24 hours ago. <laughs> uh, we, so we were introduced to Margaret. Margaret will be important later on. She was friends with Father Damon or Raphael um, and is very distraught um, because uh, Father Damon, we later learn, has been, well, he was, he was arrested for murder for killing the man that was actually Lucifer um, and then he died in prison. We cut to a tour boat, which is going past the castle. So this huge scenic castle where Father Damon killed the man. It's giving us a bit of a plot summary there. And then we see Andrew going near the castle and then making some gestures towards an altar. And then the altar all lights up. So this is what confuses me about Andrew's character because that seems very deliberate. Like he knows that he's Lucifer and what he's doing at this point. Then later scenes make me think that he's very conflicted. Well, it could just be that like a part of him subconsciously like behaves as Lucifer at times. Like Lucifer hasn't fully taken over yet. But the film doesn't really do a good enough job of explaining exactly where he's at. It's not like a Nightmare on Elm Street 2 transformation where... No, he very much had like a like an arc where he was struggling with his with that evil side, uh, the evil, the evil, the evil. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Inside. So uh, Julie is very happy because Mark not only got accepted into Columbia University, but also proposed to her. So Julie and Mark are a wonderful couple. Um, our next big scene, though, is, and I've got this in capital letters um, in my notes, the boys hit the showers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, yeah, it's, we get cock in this scene. Um, we get some strong homoeroticism slash sexual harassment, but I, I guess it goes under the erotic category yeah so they're all showering they're all naked we see everything they're not again if a gay man directed this i mean no offense to them their bodies look like my body um it's just they look very normal Um, it was like a less erotic version of carrie like the opening to carrie um and then uh so andrew is there so is tony and so are the other kind of like bad delinquent kids and then one of the delinquent kids says, Hey, Tony, Andrew sure is sexy. <laughs> and then Tony begins, you know, sexually harassing and prodding Andrew. And Andrew, Andrew, at the, Andrew at this scene is like under the shower head, kind of looking kind of sexual at that point as well. Yeah. I feel like, and yeah, I, I, I guess he was looking a little Pantene commercial, but he's trying to avoid butting heads of him, I think. Yeah. Until until he gets approached. And so Tony approaches Andrew, and Andrew, because of this kind of inner Lucifer force, then kisses Tony and, like, pushes him against the wall, and, like, a hand gets flung up against the wall. It's not it's not played as erotic. It's played, it's played as kind of an assault. Um, Look, Tony doesn't seem to fully mind. No, well, it seems to uh, freak Tony out for some reason and he runs away and Andrew was also freaked out because he doesn't know um, where that's come from Uh, we then cut to a scene with Margaret there's a lot of side scenes that I've labelled in my notes as clergy drama (laughs) because there's there's a whole side plot where um Margaret has this friend named Father Daly who was also friends with Father Damon, but Father Daly doesn't believe in Father Damon and Margaret's, you know, idea of there being Lucifer and all these angels. And so there's some conflict there. Basically, Father Daly is relevant because he comes into play later on in the plot. Um, Julie continues to have dreams of Andrew and we get a full scene of Andrew um, uh, kind of having sex with Julie. Um, Andrew <laughs> has a very pimply back. Jeez, Jared. I'm just, I'm just... Poor, poor, poor Andrew. He's just some local New York actor hoping to break out. And you're like, nice pimples, dude. Well, I just. Well, he had a lot of makeup on the face, right? But they left the pimples on the back. And I just. Maybe I'm... they were. It was demonic energy and it was taking over his back first i don't know 
there was yeah a decision was made to keep the pimply back and so i think it's worth noting um, well it's probably another point that this wasn't shot from a gay man's gaze no he was probably just looking at julie and being like oh she looks hot <laughs> yeah that's all that matters um julie struggles in the dream pulls away and she gets scratched she later finds um that the scratch is happening in real life when she looks at herself in the mirror again nightmare on elm street type echoing going on there is that this is a precursor this is before nightmare on elm street oh it is maybe they stole it from this maybe i could say i mean uh... yeah this film seemed like it was fairly notable. It was kind of well-reviewed at the time in some publications. So, you know, there's a chance Wes could have seen it. We can't ask him because he's dead, but, you know. I think there was a positive Roger Ebert review of this, which is weird. And he was very critical of horror films, but usually slasher films as opposed to... He was the director of, what, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is very... <laughs> well, that's why everyone's always like, why are you so hypocritical about this? Because you directed that film. Or you wrote, maybe he wrote it. He had some big role in it anyway. All right, yeah, Roger and Roger Ebert and Siskel, Gene Siskel, were like known for being like anti-violent slasher films. Our next movie is Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, an immoral and reprehensible piece of trash that sold more tickets on its opening weekend than any other movie so far in 1984, and that is a very, very depressing commentary. It really makes me sad. To think of all those moviegoers spending four and a half, five bucks, most of them teenage kids, sitting there watching this sad, cynical, depressing movie. Andrew is accepted into all of the big colleges. He's accepted into Yale and Harvard, but he seems... He doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. Um, We then get to gym class with Andrew there, as well as Mark, and a very aggressive gym teacher. Um... Not in a fun, aggressive way. He wasn't like a like a hashtag go coach. Uh, <laughs> I keep comparing this to Nightmare Two, but there are some overlaps. <laughs> um, there are, there are. Yeah, this coach is like encouraging them to have a really aggressive dodgeball. We don't have that in Australia, do we? Did you ever play dodgeball? I th- actually think I did, but it's, it's definitely not like a staple in PE class like it is in all these American films. They're always playing dodgeball. And this gym teacher... Always wearing really short shorts. Yeah. This gym teacher is really into it. Um, he's trying to get them to all hit Mark. Mark is doing re- really well in the game. Andrew starts spazzing out in the corner, um, and then the gym teacher throws a dodgeball at Mark, and it kills him It like pushes him against the wall and I, I suppose there's a lot of blood coming out of the mouth it was this is, this is another highlight moment I, I did write down in big letters um death by medicine ball which i should have said dodgeball but you know yeah i appreciated this and i get the impression that this wasn't the director's choice i this scene to me seems like an 80s horror shock value kill like you know you got the setup with the ball and well look it served its purpose i mean i had a cackle you know i think uh, i loved it as it well it was definitely unexpected but it doesn't gel well with the rest of the film there's a couple of these things that just don't gel well with this this kind of more grand story of angels and lucifer and i think like a funny dodgeball kill scene um is one of them <laughs> Julie 
starts hearing voices from Father Damon. We then learn that Julie is actually the I guess reincarnation. How how do how do angels work? Or maybe she just is the Archangel Gabrielle. And then doesn't she somehow get spiritually guided to the, the older lady's house, whose name I'm currently forgetting? Margaret. She gets spiritually guided Margaret, to yes. Margaret's house, but Margaret is actually Michael or Mikkel. Yeah. So, you know, they needed to find each other and go full dynamic duo. Time to take Lucifer down. Yeah, because we get a scene there where, like, um, uh, Julie needs convincing and Margaret tries to convince her there's a whole thing where she like physically restrains her and makes her look at a picture all these things happen uh meanwhile andrew his demon powers are ramping up he um kills a dog and takes it to a castle and he seems to be preparing for some some sort of satanic ritual and then we get to the final night um in this movie now, I feel like I need to, like, set up all the pieces here because it's... Yeah, it, it definitely... A lot of things happen to get it to where it, where it ends up. So we have. We have a play uh, set up by Father Daly on a beach. It's a play to do with the Passion of the Christ um, that is very popular in the area. You know, we have, there's... When that's all set up, you know, you have Jesus coming in and everyone's like, ah, it's Jesus. Everyone's very like, it's the head of the town is this play that's occurring of Passion of the Christ. We also have a school dance or something, a school function. But they're in like... It's like, yeah, I was confused. They didn't really show us. They're dressed up for something. Yeah. The kids are all dressed up for some function. Um... And they're sitting in booths at a diner. Yeah, they're like a more of a pub, yeah. Um, but Tony ends up getting kicked out because he looked at a guy's dick um, at the urinal, which, you know, some more red flags that Tony is maybe a bit foreign in the sexual persuasion. Um, <laughs> so we have... A bit sinister, a bit sissy. A bit sinister sissy. So we have a play. We have this, like, students at the school dance thing. We have Margaret and Julie, who Julie's now been convinced and they're preparing for war. Importantly, Margaret doesn't have a phone, so Julie hasn't contacted her parents and she's been away all night. Okay. And then we have Andrew, who is at the castle. He is invoking Leviathan and Beelzebub. And as he's doing that, a whole bunch of zombies are raised up near the castle and also andrew has what i've described as like uh frankenfurter rocky horror picture show type voice take these the flesh of your earthbound servants and rise rise and yeah he got sassy mannerisms to go with it he's kind of in like a costume that reminds me of like a sexy bat Mm. it's like kind of like torn black robes but like made into a bit of a stylish ensemble now it's it's been confirmed that zombies um the director really didn't want zombies in this movie but the producer forced him to have zombies in this movie they don't do much okay but there are zombies 
in the castle. I mean, bit. they kill like the bad girl character kind of off screen. They don't, they don't really amount to. They like grab her leg and she's like. Ah. <laughs> Um, the bad kids, after they get kicked out from the diner, decide to steal a boat and go to the castle area. No clear motivations as to why they want to go to the castle area, but we have bad kids, including Tony, in the castle area. Yeah, because they're bad kids. They were drawn by that satanic energy. (laughs) Uh, Margaret and Julie, they find Father Damon's, uh, cross... Spear, what are we going to call that? We need a name for that. I don't know. Power scepter, but it's not actually a scepter. Um, Sailor Moon. Christ wand. Christ wand. Okay. They find Father Damon's Christ wand. uh, And Julie's very keen to take down Lucifer because they know somehow that that Andrew is preparing a ritual at this point and they're ready to go. Oh, another set piece that I forgot to to state is uh, Andrew's father is getting drunk at a bar. <laughs> That's right. Because, yeah, it's all building up to Andrew's father externalising the rage that Andrew has filled him with for all these years, for having to raise him. Yeah, and, he, like, there's this scene where he's complaining at the bar, like, my son's the devil. <laughs> and then some guy next to him is like, you think your son's the devil? Like, it's a very... <laughs> it's a very simple scene. <laughs> Anyway, he leaves the bar after he gets he gets kicked out drunk, and then he shoots and kills the mother. That scene starts. We don't see him ever again. Let's, we don't find out what the outcome there was. Wrapped up. Let's let's just get that scene out of the way. Okay, so we can focus on Margaret and Julie also try and get a boat to the island, but are temporarily stopped because um, the guy at the dock calls the cops because julie has been missing and the cops come and arrest both margaret and julie and so they're in a cop car for a period of time on the island uh the kids start being attacked by zombies it starts off with two a couple that were skinny dipping i only know that because again in my notes i have man butt exclamation point because we have man butt again and they're killed by zombies basically you know a lot of a lot of zombies knock off a lot of people but in kind of very vague and not graphic ways that you can tell it was kind of shoehorned in like just grab her leg and we'll cut to someone else yeah you know, it's implied there's some kind of zombie carnage here yeah I, I i don't remember any kind of graphic kills there again because i think the director just did not want zombies in that film at all well there was the, with the the character that's meant to be like the bitchy girl um, she's just like inside a crypt and a zombie grabs her leg, but we don't really get any context to how she got in the crypt. So yeah, I, I feel like they just shot these scenes on like a whim. It's so wonderfully bad. I love it. Um, the play, the passion of the Christ play, it's up to the point where Jesus is being crucified, but then Jesus starts bleeding and having stigmata for real as he's being pretend crucified, and then for anyone who doesn't know, stigmata is like when you ha- when you experience the wounds of Christ. It's also a terrible early two thousands horror film. Uh, I should I should rewatch that for Halloween season. Patricia Arquette. Is it? Uh, I yeah. yeah. I, I spent it. Might be good. I don't know. I remember it being bad. But I doubt it is. Um, I liked it when I was young, so it probably means it's shit now. So Jesus actor is bleeding out, and then also everyone else starts bleeding from the head. 
And then we got some fucking lightning strikes start happening. And there's like a guy who gets struck by lightning. A very camp guy. <laughs> I remember just being like, there's the one gay guy in the film. He ends up getting struck by lightning. Shit's going fucking crazy. Um, and because there's chaos on the beach, Margaret and Julie manage to escape um, the cross. So, interestingly, Margaret goes up. You mean they, they escape the cop car? So they escape the cop car. I'm getting too excited. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, Margaret goes up to the now dead Jesus actor, um, and then that's where he gets she she hears the voice of Father Damon, aka Raphael, the angel, and he tells her that they can now fight Lucifer because they are now one, which means. All that shenanigans that happened on the beach, I think, is caused by the angels and not by Lucifer. Well, like their power, their powers combining and Jesus dying for real once again. Because Jesus needed to die in order for their powers to come together. Well, I feel sorry for that poor local stage actor who had to embody Jesus and cark it. I know, but I, I like that element that, like, the good guys had to kill a bunch of people in order for their power to be combined to fight Lucifer. Because it's completely they separate. They've got that wand. It's got, like, a 2D ray thing that comes well, out Well, I think of this it. is where it gets supercharged. It gets supercharged because of the ritual that's just happened on the beach. Um, so Margaret and Julie end up um, finding and getting onto the island. Meanwhile, what's happening on the island is Andrew's doing full villain type garb. He's kind of camping around all the place. Tony, out of fucking nowhere, starts developing breasts. <laughs> And then Andrew starts coming on to him and Tony is so horrified, I think, by his own sexuality, yeah? Well, that's what that's how I would interpret it because he's kind of making him face that he is a woman. desires men. <laughs> but I feel like this film is interpreting that by his femininity, his feminine yeah. desires. All gay were, men were are secretly women, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, it's true. It's true. Uh, Tony is so outraged. That, Take of my tits now. That he, he, Tony is so outraged that he stabs himself to death. Um, we then also get his girlfriend, who I think her name is Brenda, sacrificed on an altar. But then, yeah, then poor Brenda's sacrificed in this root ritual by Lucifer slash Andrew. But I'm going to call him Lucifer now because he's definitely evolved. And that's when we have our, our archangels to the rescue. Yeah, so Margaret and Julie arrive on scene, uh, brandishing our something wand. What do we call it? I can't remember. A cross wand? Is that it? Jesus no. wand. We now have a Jesus, now a Jesus wand. <laughs> brandishing our Catholic Jesus wand, whatever that was. Andrew begins to recoil because the wand is shooting out these like beams of light. I was loving all of this sort of stuff. Margaret starts trying to get Andrew to recite the Lord's Prayer. Um, but there's like conflict going on and Andrew starts making this weird fucking noise. He ends up pushing off Margaret and then Andrew slash Lucifer turns into Mark, briefly tricking Julie. 
Um, and when Margaret intervenes, she gets raised up by the neck and her neck is broken. Poor Marg. Poor. She fought so hard. Yeah. Margaret is now dead. Um, and oh, and she has that classic like early 80s movie thing where someone dies and they always have a bit of blood trickling out of their mouth. Mm. Andrew fully transforms into Lucifer now. Um, but Julie is able to beat him by using out he, the Jesus wand. Um it starts shooting little lasers onto Andrew, which I'm assuming are just kind of ritualistic. We get a vision of all of the archangels. So we have Michael and Gabrielle and Raphael merging together to defeat the evil Lucifer. Um, he ends up bursting into flames, but in this like little way, and then it starts building There's and building and building. things that fly out. Um and then all of a sudden there's a huge explosion that happens and there's like fireworks that are flying out. Again, capitalization in my notes. It looks incredible. <laughs> um, um, and then it just ends. And then the movie just ends after we get this massive fireworks display and our assumption is that Lucifer has been defeated by the angels. <laughs> Catholicism. Love it. God <laughs> over sin. Um, so if you haven't watched it yet, that was probably incredibly confusing. But probably also just entertaining as the actual film. So there you go. <laughs> no, you need to watch this film. It is so good. You need to be in the right mindset. I feel like Sam was a negative Nancy. I think it was just too disjointed for me. I think I need the same tone, I think. Like, I love my camp 80s horror films. and I need it to be consistent. This, I think... I think I was kind of like getting into it and it would go into that Margaret subplot and I'd be like, uh, no, Sam- and I'd be getting into it and then back to Margaret. So let's blame Margaret for this movie. Margaret, you killed it. B-horror is best when, in my opinion, when the director isn't self-aware. When the director doesn't know that they're making a shitty oh, B-horror film. definitely. And they do anyway. And this is such a good Have example should, of yeah. that. Like... It's, it's like, it's like I love the fact that the, all the homoeroticism in this film was accidental like it's in there's no indication yeah, despite it being so blatant and yeah you can tell it was not what they were going for no if anything it's like it, the bits in this movie that that seem to be the actual actual director's intent are like mildly homophobic um like the breasts and all of that sort of stuff um meanwhile he's made a gay classic horror film accidentally and i think that's beautiful well look it's fear no evil 1981 it's halloween season it's time get on it thank you for listening to the sinister sissies podcast you can follow us on twitter at sinister sissies you can follow me on twitter at jared bartle that's jared with a y you can follow us on instagram at sinister underscore sissies and please check out sam's 31 days of horror or 31 days of sin there's too many hashtags whatever he's doing look i'm trying i'm trying to get us those followers check that out on instagram Uh, not desperate at all please consider supporting us on patreon it really helps out the show and until next time stay sinister
the secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. Um,